Hello and welcome to Next. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to our page on Facebook and like the page. And if you have a chance, go to Twitter and follow us there at 814-NEXT. Lend your voice to the dialogue. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we will analyze the events of January 6th with two very special retired military men. Before I go into that, I didn't have an opportunity to really speak to this very much last month. I wanted to keep the focus on the historic nature of our first African-American female vice president and even the historic nature of the presidency of Joe Biden and celebrate all of the, uh, the rich history that is intertwined into that entire event. And so we made reference to the January uh, 6th insurrection, but we didn't talk about it at great length. And I want to give my perspective just as an African-American before we start this conversation because I want people who are watching who are not of color to put this in perspective. For so many years, it's been extremely frustrating, past and, past and, and present, because this is the same type of conversation that I heard from every living relative that I had the privilege of meeting from my great-grandparents to my grandparents to my older aunts and uncles. The narrative of African-Americans in this country has been consistently the same. If you've seen three elements that have always played out, one, you've seen the demonization of blacks in America and the dehumanization of blacks in America, especially for men. The second thing we've seen consistently is the justification of the ill treatment of African-Americans. And that justification oftentimes was based on them being demonized and being viewed as subhuman uh, from the time that they were brought here to now. And then the third is this upholding the notion of white supremacy. The frustrating thing about that is decade after decade, generation after generation, African-Americans are consistently told you're making too much of this. It's not as bad as you think. And that has increasingly become more frustrating. And as many of us watch the events of January 6th unfold, we think about the, the simplistic um, comparison of how these white nationalists were treated versus not just the Black Lives Matter movement, but when you even go back to when cameras were first starting to be invented or, or utilized with the Rodney King event, you fast forward to where camera phones are now very common. Will Smith, I think, said it best when he said racism has always existed. It's just being filmed now. And now all of us are cameramen and camera women on location all over the world. And so these atrocities are put on film. Even when they're put on film, people still don't want to buy into the notion or the reality that we indeed live into Americas, as we see the introduction of the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, the murder of Fred Hampton, and the COINTELPRO Pro program. And we think about the way the FBI and the government at that time played such an active role in not just bringing down Fred Hampton and many other members of the Black Panthers, but to include benevolent people like Dr. King, who we cite so often, Malcolm X, and that list continues. We compare that to the lack of aggressiveness to these white nationalist groups, who, much like the members of the Black Panther during their day, have been declared America's number one threat in terms of internal terrorism. And so what is the difference? And we think that's very obvious. But lastly, before I bring in my guests, I want to think about something that Dr. King said. And Dr. King said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. My great-grandfather would tell stories, and my great-grandmother would tell stories about not just the way they were treated when they were young, not just the way they watched their parents be treated, but the untold numbers 
of white people, many of which that they thought were very, very nice people. And it would always would always beg the question, how do you just sit back and allow this to happen? You can say that these are laws. You can say that's just the way it is. How do you sit back and allow this to happen and have a tacit response, an apathetic response, a it doesn't bother me response? And that theme alone has permeated film after film after film. It's the bedrock of films like The Help, where certain family members looked on at the treatment of, uh, of these black servants of theirs and owned the fact that there was a genuine loving relationship, but other members of the family wanted to give in to the status quo. How do you sit back and not say anything? And I think a moment like this, even for the people who are not of color that I'm personally connected to, that so many of us are personally connected to, it begs the question, how long will you be in denial about things that occur in this country that you believe do not affect you personally? And I wanna be clear about this, this chasm between black and white, between law enforcement and community. We are not doing these chasms any favor. We're not bridging these divides if we continue to smile about it and say that's a shame, but we don't denounce and decry this in all white spaces. And this is a moment in history where I think, and i be clear, that the relationships that we have crossing lines along black and white are being analyzed and reanalyzed by a lot of people of color right now. Because without white voices, these things will never change. And so as we watch the way, not just the insurrection unfolded, but the lack of accountability, which is what our guests want to talk about today, the lack of accountability, the blatant white supremacy that was on display, and you can decry all you want about riots that we've seen across this country for Black Lives Matters or others, but I don't recall any of those rioters being so bold and so brazen and so arrogant and so entitled that they filmed themselves doing it, that they take photos of themselves doing it, that they post it to social media and brag about it after they do it. If that doesn't speak to entitlement, I don't know what does. And so we need a complete reanalysis of what we are and who we are as a country. Because I get the sense personally that we are heading into territory that is so dark, I'm thinking, how do we come back from this? Because the gloves came completely off in terms of this two Americas right now. And can we rein it in at this point? I'll leave that open in the question <clears throat> to both of my guests to unpack. I want to say this. and to go slightly political for a second, not even so much policy, take policy out of it, but the darker region that President Trump led us to is what many people are really looking at saying, this is a very, very slippery slope. I wanna read a quote by Nikki Haley, former governor, before I go on to my guests, and she said uh, very simply, Mr. Trump will not run for federal office again and said the 45th president's political stars come crashing down to earth following the January 6th riots at the U.S. Capitol. But here's the quote that I personally would love to hear from more people because this is bigger than party and bigger than politics. She said, we need to acknowledge that President Trump let us down. He went down a path he shouldn't have and we shouldn't have followed him. We shouldn't have listened to him. And we can't let that ever happen Again, the clarity of those words is refreshing. Because at this juncture, the whole notion of patriotism, the whole notion of America first, we've taken a turn that has made a lie out of 
any and everyone who doesn't see this but espouses those words. Kneeling at a football game made football players unpatriotic. And many, many people agreed with that. And yet this act has not been viewed as, a, as an act of insurrection treason or at the very least unpatriotic by millions of people. There's something wrong with this picture. And so with that, I bring you two of our guests today who want to help us unpack some of what we've seen. They have their own opinions on what we've seen, and we want to hear them out today. Our first guest is Mr. Anthony Quinn. He is retired military. He, was the, he is the infantry second lieutenant of 2LT. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, now. And we have Mr. Rick Wellington, retired Department of PA Corrections and a U.S. Army vet. Uh, Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? We're doing well. So, Tony, I want to start with you because we actually had a discussion month ago, month and a half ago. And you posted something about misinformation and disinformation. And it was so fascinating because so much of what you said in that article and so much of what you said in our conversation about that article came to fruition. What we saw on January 6th was the culmination of a campaign an organized campaign of misinformation and disinformation from elected officials. Speak to that, please, as we talk about what actually happened. Well, as you know, Marcus, when you repeat something over and over again, regardless of it being true or not, it gets into the mindset of those who listen to that, right? But then when you have those that truly believe that that message is true, regardless of the information that has proven it or debunked it time and time again, you're at a loss. And you're at a loss because, one, the message is coming from someone that they believe it is right. Mm. And two they see that person communicate it time and time again. And three, they're, that person that they're following also um, commits action to, to reinforce the lie through action of having lawyers going to file in suit right? These actions, plus the lie, plus the repetitiveness of the message is the problem. That's how it's all reinforced, right? You have those three things, right? And if you can reinforce those three things at the same time, that lie is the truth to those individuals. So, Tony, I want to back up a little bit and go into your military career, because you're a career military man, so is Rick, and we'll go to him next. For the listener and for the viewer, give us your background in the military and why you wrote this and why this was such a concern to you. Well, um, as you said, I, I've been in the military over 28-plus years, and I've seen just about everything under the sun. And, and before I go on, there's nothing new under the sun, meaning these are just old tricks repackaged anew to fit the uh, time of today. And um, 
every place that I've been and watching dictators uh, influence their population, I've seen this where they will restrict certain messages being communicated through TV, through radio, or certain social media platforms. And this is all the people have to go on. And those that do not trust what that dictator is saying, they risk their lives by getting information from other platforms to understand what the true nature of the environment is, right? But the majority of those people that do not have those platforms or access to those platforms, they will continue to receive that message and then over time succumb to it. And then from there, they do whatever the dictator tells them to do. And you saw too many parallels. And so as, uh, yes, yes. And, and so as the, the time that I spent in the military has exposed me to a lot of this. And, and when you are exposed to this and you see it happening in your own country, in your own country, um, it's disturbing. And I just don't understand how is it that the smart people that we have here, the intelligent people that we have here, the loving people that we have here fall for this type of information when they know that it probably isn't true or if mm -hmm. they really want to know the truth, they can always do their own homework because we all know when something doesn't feel right to us mm -hmm. and we know how to research it to find out if it's true or not. Even if it's half true, at least you will know exactly what you're dealing with if you just take the time to go out and conduct your own research. Excellent. I want to bring Rick into this conversation, but I wanted to start with that because as you're writing that, you were analyzing what was going on. And again, this was before January 6th, and you were ringing that alarm like we are not, we're heading somewhere very destructive with this disinformation campaign, and you were one of the few people that I heard publicly saying, this is leading to somewhere that we don't wanna go. And lo and behold, the unspeakable, quote unquote, happens on January 6th, but to you, it was no surprise based on the, based on the fact that the waters had been chummed for so long by credible sources. Right, I mean, Rick and I, and those of us that are in the military, we, we have seen this before. So this is no surprise to people in uniform. This is no surprise to us. The problem that we have here is whether or not we can turn back from the path that we're on. Right. Because this path that we're on poses more danger to ourselves internally than any external force that we can have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rick, let's bring you in on this conversation. Uh, talk about your background in the military and then lead us right into this conversation and how you and Tony started dialoguing about this. Okay, I, I only served four years in the military. Then I went to the Department of Corrections, worked 22 years with the Department of Corrections, retired. But me and Tony, we of course, we all went to high school together. 
and me and Tony hooked up when we, we were talking about the military. And I was in a very highly deployed unit. I was in the 24th Infantry Division. I've been all over the world for various things. And uh, we were just talking about the situations that were going on. And uh, we were talking about uh, how bad this country was getting and how bad the disinformation was getting within, within this country. And the problems with how the information was getting out in this country, mm -hmm. within the news media, within within everything, and how bad the problem was going to be, and if the problem can ever be fixed, Marcus. Mm. I want to get down to some of the specifics on this, um, on the intel that came from the arrests and everything from that day. 176 people were charged. The breakdown of that in terms of the crimes. 169 charged with trespassing or disrupting Congress, 40 charged with interference with law enforcement, 25 charged with property crimes, 17 charged with assault, 17 charged with weapons crimes, 11 charged with conspiracy and five charged with threats. Seditious conspiracy, there was a special note, and I thought this was noteworthy to mention. It says seditious conspiracy requires proof that rioters plan to use force to oppose the authority of the United States government or to hinder the execution of his laws. And so cases like this are very complex because they require evidence not only of planning, but also of intent, and no such charges have yet been filed. At least 21 have possible ties, ties to militant groups, uh, 11 for the Proud Boys, five for the Oath Keepers, five for ties to other militant groups. But here's the number that I wanna really drill down on. At least 22 are current or former military members. This is fascinating. Okay, and so you look at 13%, 22 claims some sort of military experience of 176 people. That's 13%. 13% in the military in this country, routinely less than 1% of the population of this country serves in the military. And there was an article that said that even if you throw in uh, everybody from DEP to academics to ROTC and various other uh, PHS and NOA programs and their retirees, you still barely scratch 5 million, which is about 1.5% of the population. So a disproportionately large number of people in the military or have served in the military were a part of this insurrection that day. Why is that so concerning to you, Rick? And then we'll jump over to Tony with that question. I, I believe that so many people, it's because of the disinformation was being put out. I believe that the, between the social media, the moguls and social media, and within the top news agencies, they, the disinformation was being put out on their side and also on the president's side, the disinformation which was being put out. It was causing a huge rift which, within this country and it made you pick sides. And obviously they picked the side where they felt they were more patriotic on, so they picked that side. They had they they drew it up as socialism versus democracy, mm -hmm. in my opinion, and they drew that's how they tried to tried to draw lines in the sand with this cer certain situation. So of course, if a veteran's going to pick democracy over socialism, mm. I've been to socialist countries. Socialist socialism is terrible. You stand in line for five hours for a loaf of bread. You have certain days to go grocery shopping. You, it, it, socialist, socialism is a terrible form of government. The people really, really hate it. If you, you know, the best way to find out about socialism is ask a Cuban immigrant about socialism. Mm -hmm. They'll let you know how socialism is. 
the, you can't get medicine. You can't get, it's hard to get clean drinking water for your family in, in a socialist country. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, and I think that's where the line was drawn. They made this false narrative in this country that it was between socialism and democracy. And some people fell for it. That's my opinion on why you have mm -hmm. veterans that got involved. And not, you know, everyone, not saying everyone's the smartest person in the world, <laughs> you know, and they got disinformation and they fell for it. That's why the, I feel that the veterans got involved. They made it a battle between socialism and democracy. So you pointed out that uh, you said ask a Cuban-American. I thought that was, an, that was an interesting point because when you look at the way Latinx people in this country voted, by, by any stretch of the imagination, was it a monolithic voice? A lot of varying degrees. And so in the Cuban-American community in particular, there were a lot of Trump supporters. And let's right. be clear about this. The fact that when it comes to this particular topic, which is a whole other show unto itself, there are a lot of frustrations out there by people who were Trump supporters that are legitimate frustrations. And the fact that there are certain things that just haven't been dealt with in terms of society lent to a lot of frustrations unto itself. And so you're right. You ask certain people, socialism and the fear of that is a, a genuine issue. Tony, let me go back to you with, with you being a life from the military, the bipartisan nature of military service is something that has always been uh, something that military people have taken a great deal of pride in because if you've served as long as you have, you've served under multiple presidents. And the philosophy has yes. always been, I'm serving the country, not the president. Yep. I'm serving the country, not that this administration. You think the bipartisan correct. nature yeah. of that has taken a hit with all of this? Uh, I, I would say no. Uh, I mean, we, we will still continue to serve the country, first and foremost. However, um, there are aspects in our military that, that um, succumb to, just as Rick says, um, disinformation. And they're very smart and intelligent people but it's all about idealism or the ideology in which they're following, right? And that is the thing that shapes them. You know, when I say them, those former military uh, soldiers, um, those, those veterans that are out there that will succumb to um, the, the disinformation and misinformation. It's ideology that will lead them astray. Mm -hmm. Not so much um, they don't understand what, what's being said to them. Um, for, for the most part, our political environment has become unruly, and our citizens have just fallen asleep at the wheel. Um, and and we, we have to be able to take back control of our political environment. And we can't rely so much on our political officials to do this because time and time again, they have shown us that they do not have the stability or the character to do what's right in, in the face of tension, in the face of, 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 of uh, danger, as well as um, the possibility of losing their seat mm -hmm. or doing the right thing, the hyperbolic rhetoric that is spoken by the officials today um, elicit strong feelings on both sides, you know? 
and and the Tony, let me Tony, can I interrupt you for a sec? Go ahead. Our, it's become a reality show. The politicians. Yes, they're exactly right. They it it has become a reality show. They want airtime. They'll do anything to get airtime. It's totally ridiculous. They're here to govern us, to make laws, and they're more worried about getting airtime than doing their jobs anymore. They're like re- want to be reality stars than do their jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. It's totally ludicrous. We have a member of Congress goes on Instagram, makes a total lie about the riots, says they were beaten on her door, this and that, and they weren't even they never made it to her hallway. It makes a complete false narrative of what happened just to get attention. It's like total rea- uh, reality series anymore with these people mm-hmm. like tony says they have no responsibility to govern the american people need to wake up and realize these are the people we elect so let me They're stay gov- making our laws no let me let me stay with you on that point rick and i'm gonna stay with you on that because you're making a point that i wanted to go into the whole notion of accountability about this unprecedented occurrence in this country and for so many people the D's and the R's, the question has been posed, if there's no accountability for this, be it from the people who perpetrated the lie that are in public office, the person who held the highest office, if there's, and then the actions that follow, if there's no accountability for this, then where is the line at? What does someone have to do in order to be held accountable with, uh, as a public servant And so I want you to just kind of give your own personal opinion on that very thought. If we can't hold these people accountable, what does accountability even look like anymore for elected officials? We we can't hold them accountable. The uh, the first step we need to do as as country, Ben, is we need to set term limits. That's the main thing that needs to happen in Washington, D.C. These people get too comfortable or they're too long and the best thing we need to do is have term limits on every position in Washington, D.C. How come the president of the United States has term limits, but Congress doesn't have term limits? The Senate doesn't have term limits. Term limits yeah. is the first thing we need to do. Mm. Me and Tony had extensive discussions about term limits. You actually had three points that you sent me. You had three points that you sent me that I want to go to after we unpack this segment because the document that you sent ahead of time just to kind of outline your platform for this, because this isn't the only show that you want to go on and talk about this. You two are very passionate about this particular topic. I want to go into those three specific things uh, shortly here. Tony, you were trying to chime in on that? Yes. Um, Again, you know, people, uh, you know, the United States citizens, we, we have blinders on. Right. And what I mean by blinders is that, you know, we will continue to vote party lines, even at the detriment of ourselves. And to me, that's not smart. Right. Why would you vote for a an elected official who has poor a poor track record of character, a poor track record of um, being moral? a poor track record of ethics. I mean, all these things are 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 are, are the things that 
are moving us in a direction that we don't want to go in. And for some odd reason, we continue, we the public, we the citizens continue to march down this path, not realizing that we're causing ourselves a destruction. And, and people that deal in this ideology that do not understand why they're part of this ideology or why they're accepting it and why they don't question it, it's another thing, mm -hmm. it's, it's another problem that we have here in our country. And, and I think that the citizens, um, we, we need to wake up. And like Rick said, we need to push and pull together in one direction in order to get our elected officials to do what's right. And as well as ensuring that they are the right people for the right job. Mm -hmm. Because all too often we put and we vote, we vote the wrong people in the right positions. Mm -hmm. It's really crazy to me how we continue to do this. This conversation is happening on multiple levels in various disciplines and professions across this country. The business community jumped into action. There were some organizations that withheld funding from certain politicians that they felt like perpetrated the lie. You see social media and some of these social media giants taking a stand on some of the rhetoric of the former president. And this whole notion of freedom of speech is now uh, at, at, at the center of a lot of these discussions. But I think that all of these debates have to happen because, to go back to it, this is this juncture of history where we really need to figure out what we, what we really stand for on these particular topics. And so, you know, where's that line drawn? And so the debate rages as we try to bring Rick back in here. I want to read a statement from Emily Berman, who, who studies some of these uh, supremacist groups and things along those lines. She says, you see people on the videos of the riots who are clearly making use of tactical training, talking about the military, and that is relevant to some potential charges. If you made a plan and treated this as if we're a military operation, said this professor, who focuses on domestic laws and related to national security, on relation to national security. But this is the point that I want to key in on, but I think it's also potentially problematic if you have people who are charged with serving the country or upholding the law who have these views and act on them. Law enforcement, military, and corrections came up in a conversation that I sat in on with the county executive, Kathy Dahlkemper, and Mayor Joe Schember. And it was in initiated by a local citizen named Kevin Arrington who emailed them and basically said, you see what the FBI did in DC? They did an extensive vetting process on every National Guardsman and woman who came there to serve during the inauguration, 12 of which were sent home because there were various things apparently found in their backgrounds that made them feel that they couldn't be trusted with such responsibility. In those three particular disciplines or professions, that's becoming a new question. What are we doing to vet the people that guard citizens, that you know, citizens in facilities that are disproportionately full of people of color, that serve and protect our communities? 
and to protect at a greater level. Has that kind of conversation started at the corrections facilities, the, the cor corrections facility that you were once a part of or in your circle of influence where this is concerned? Yeah, they did a pretty good job of that people in corrections. They, um, we went through all the background checks. They did all that kind of stuff. And I imagine they do that with state, with any police department. I mean, like they always say there's always going to be one bad apple in the bunch and it, it is what it is. But, uh, Overall, most people I met are, are good people that work those jobs. Mm -hmm. is, has there been a you need? Get a couple has there been a need expressed to take a deeper dive in light of recent events? Marcus, I, I've been retired since the events happened, so I don't know. I imagine the department. I know the Department of Corrections is very reactionary, and uh, I imagine that the, they definitely would do it. And I imagine police departments and everything are probably doing it by, are by now. Mm -hmm. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Tony, you have some background with this gentleman. Yes. Give us that story for a second before we go into what he's doing right now. Say again? I didn't, I Defense didn't Secretary that. Lloyd Austin, you have some familiarity with him as he's coming into this new position. Retired US, United States Army four-star general and now he's the first African-American to serve as the Secretary of Defense or Defense Secretary. But you have some background or at least a, a, a connection to him through the military that you spoke of before. Oh, yeah. Um, so um, during uh, March of 2003, when we kicked off the, uh, the invasion of Iraq, um, I served with the uh, third ID. You know, I supported them um, uh, as we progressed through Iraq. And um, I was part of his uh, briefing staff uh, daily on battlefield updates and um, situations of that, of that, um, of that, um, uh, of, of sorts. And, um, and from time to time had um, conversations um, in passing about what we will be able to do or not do um, during uh, the push towards uh, towards Iraq. Mm. So um, my my connection with him is strictly professional, strictly uh, from a briefer standpoint, and giving advice as to. Uh, you know, his 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 uh, next idea as to what he wanted us to do. Recently, he ordered a stand down during which the military will pause other activities to focus specifically on addressing extremism and white nationalism within his ranks. Give us your thoughts on that order. <laughs> well, um, I, I think he will do what is asked of him, right? And, and um, no more, no less. Um, because let's face it, Marcus, uh, when we start to dig or dev down into that, um, that type of topic, it's very sensitive because, and I'll tell you why. It, it's sensitive because 
he's only been removed from the military, I think, three to four years, right? So if he's in there shaking the trees, right, and those that may have extremist ties or connections, some of those individuals may have been under his charge or his peers. Now, the problem that we have with that is now the, the spotlight is turned around on him. How is it that you not know that this person was connected? Mm. or that person that served under you was connected. Mm. So he's going to tread very lightly on that. They all will because of that connection. Because let me tell you, after you get past Major General, the rest of that stuff is all political. We know it. Everybody knows it. So now... <laughs> If he goes in there and he swings very hard, he shakes the trees very hard, and he digs, right? He's going to come up with some opposition. And those people that are opposition to him knows where his weak points are, where the bodies are buried, so to speak. And he doesn't want those things to rise, right? Mm. So he's just going to do enough to go ahead and appease those that are in Congress or the Senate and, and just to prove that he has done something. Mm -hmm. Because let me tell you, I'm not a political pundit, all right? I, I don't make my living sitting there on TV. So I don't have to worry about so much curtailing my thoughts on the situation. You understand? So... That's what he's going to do. And if he doesn't do that, then his time as sec def will be short-lived. Mm -hmm. You submitted three points. Rick started to go into them earlier. I want to set that document up so I can let, go back to Rick and let him finish unpacking this. I had a couple of quotes in this document that you sent. One, the past is never dead. It's not even passed by William Faulkner. And two, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace by Jimi Hendrix. And so I thought it was fascinating you utilize those two uh, quotes in this document. Talk about the document a bit. And uh, it's entitled United Sincerely Through an Accountability and Responsibility. It's the theme of the document. Set this document up and I want to go back to Rick so that we can talk or start the discussion on the three points that you're leaning into in this campaign. Okay. Well, this document, right, after speaking to Rick, um, and Rick, interject it, it, as you see fit in this. I'm sorry, Tony. Interject as you see fit with this. I want to make sure that your voice is represented on this. Go ahead, Tony. So after Rick and I spoke um, about how disturbed we were about the events that led up to the January 6th and about the, the, uh, our displeasure uh, of our elected officials, we wanted to come up with a theme that everyone can fit under. And, and we also wanted a theme that pointed to our leadership, you know, our elected officials. And so the word united, right, is, is a theme that we all as, aspire to, in which our country is, is named after, united, you know, United States of America. And Tony, hold on one second. Mean, I, 
let me say one thing. This is how me and Tony started this conversation, actually. All right. We started this conversation. It started with the about um, being an American. That's how we started this conversation. And I, I said that uh, everyone in this country, when we, when we got to fill out a job application, it asks for race. And Tony said, "There's as far as I'm, as far as I, well, I learned in school, there's only one race. It's a human race." And I agree. I agree with them. You know, a hundred percent. I said exactly. I said I, I. I still have never figured out my whole life why we're probably the only country in the world where we fill a thing out. We have to put whether we're black, white, Spanish, non-Spanish, <laughs> right, or other. We're probably the only country in the world that does it. I imagine we are. All right. And Tony, this is how we started this out. Was Tony brought this up, and I said, Tony, we're. And Tony, I said, we're all Americans. And I don't understand why we can't all come together and just realize that it don't matter what color we are. We're all Americans. When I was in the Army, it didn't matter what color you were. You were, you were a soldier. They, everyone was treated the same in the Army when I was in the Army. And we, we were Americans. And this is how this was brought up. With We and Tony brought this conversation up. And the, the government has used a tactic that's so very divisive. old from it's from ancient times divide and conquer they're dividing us by race to control us mm -hmm. is the whole thing that's what me and tony were talking about they're dividing us to conquer us so and they're doing it by political parties is how they're doing it to us so me and Tony, we're not political party affiliated, like Tony said. We're, we're and, and I don't see how anyone in the world can be political party affiliated. How are you going to vote for somebody that doesn't have your beliefs, doesn't have anything you believe or any ethics you care for, just because they're in your political party? You want them to make laws and govern, and they don't even have anything that you can you cherish or consider for your family to cherish, but you're going to vote for them just because of political parties. You're saying draw totally, a line somewhere. It's totally ludicrous. Right. It's all your beliefs, all your values, all your ethics, but you're going to vote for someone from political party. Right. Political party stuff is out of control. It is. And, it, 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 and they're dividing us and conquering us through using race well, and political I want, I, want to, I want to add something to that, Rick, as we're unpacking this, because this is why even this notion of, of black history, the history of this country that we hide from so often, the history of this country that we deny is, take that perfect example of what you just said. I believe it's aspirational to say we're all soldiers, we're all the human race. This very same government that had opportunities to bridge that divide for, for decades, upon decades. W.E.B. Du Bois encouraged African-Americans to fight in World War II in the hopes that we would be viewed more as citizens when that happened. That didn't happen. There were a lot of African-American soldiers that came back and were lynched for publicly wearing that uniform by, by a demographic that they fought to serve and protect that still didn't view them as human. Many of these ranks were separated even in the military. And so your point about us all just being soldiers, I never served about them all just being soldiers. 
that's one of the aspirations that many, many people hope that we can get to. But your point is so spot on when you do say, though, that the government has divided us because those policies, and those are just a few examples of hundreds in this country. You didn't make those policies, right? This is what people say, I didn't make those policies. But the fact that they were created was done intentionally. So yes, this social construct of race has been intentional and extremely effective. Go back to your point. And actually, all of us were lucky. Us three were lucky. I consider us lucky. We grew up in a great era. We grew up in a hip hop era. That's what I call it. Where actually music brought our era together. Where color didn't matter that much anymore. To none of us. We were, it, it, it was a great time to grow, to grow up, to go through high school and everything. We were all, it, no one looked at color back then. We were all, it was sort of united to everyone back then. It was the first time where like none of that really mattered. And I don't know, after that era, I don't really know what happened. Mm. It sort of broke away. And then when Donald Trump got in office, it really went whack. Where this white nationalism got blown out of proportion and he wouldn't, den I, I have no idea why the man wouldn't denounce it immediately and whatever. And then the left played on it and then the right was silent on it instead of offending people. And it, it's just politically inspired. It's anything that's done in this world is, it's done about money. Right. That's what people have to understand. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Everything is money driven in this world. So, okay. So whether it be who's who, whatever parties run this country, they're, they're doing it because of, they want to run this country because of money. Not because of values, not because of anything else. Now, I get totally disgusted when I hear Joe Biden say systematic racism. When I hear Nancy Pelosi say systematic racism. They are the system, Marcus. Right. They've been in the system for 50 years. Yeah. yeah. It totally disgusts me for them to say this. They created the system. Mm hmm So how can you bring this out and say, well, I want to fight systematic racism when I made this system? Absolutely. And when you trace the history Nobody of... Nobody will call them to task mm -hmm. because the media is so jaded that they let people like this get away with this. Mm -hmm. That's what's wrong with our society. Let me bring Tony back into this. And, and that point, Rick, you trace back the history of racism and the social construct of racism and racist policies. You run through a series of D's and R's, D's and R's. Neither one of them have the moral high ground to speak on where this is concerned because you're absolutely right. You can point to atrocities under presidents from both parties that yeah. just shouldn't have been if the goal was to, to view us and treat us all as Americans. Tony, chime in on what Rick was saying. So Rick is right. You know, I mean, a lot of things that he was saying are spot on. And that's why we have united sincerely through accountability and responsibility, right? Those are words those two words, accountability and responsibility, are the two key words that <clears throat> our government officials and leaders are supposed to be about. You know, they're supposed to bring us to our better selves. And they have chosen not to do that because of the, their lack of those two words, accountability and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, Rick and you have pointed out, the system, right? The system is controlled 
and obtained by the wealthier people, mm -hmm. right? That 1% at the top. And let me, uh, I mean, let me say that when you threaten to take away or reduce someone's money, their ability to make money, right? They're going to do what they need to do to maintain it, right? And so as long as, as Rick said, the, the, the leadership and the government can keep us separated, the citizens, they are always going to win, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, oh, let's go back to what we had talked about when, um, I mean, Marcus, you had mentioned about the, the, the capitalism, um, those other companies, you know, um, breaking ties with um, the former president, Trump, and all that. They're only doing it to save money. Absolutely. Right? That, I mean, we all understand this, right? So, so the thing is, as long as we understand it, why don't we use it more often? Mm. We don't because we think that those people are sincere at the very top. They are not sincere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> That's even, the bottom line. Even when you bring up the media, both of you brought the media up and, and people take turns. When, when you hear conservatives talk about the media spin against President Trump, I say to myself, OK, so how long has there been a media spin against people of color? I visit Japan. As a matter of fact, the last time I went to Japan, I had another person of color, another black man with me. And he asked a question to the person that was kind of our guide during that time there. How do they view black people here? And he said, by and large, being honest with you, we view them as criminals. He said, this is the way you're portrayed in Western media. This is coming from somebody who's getting all their information from our media. And so when I hear conservatives, you guys, you just don't know the media is doing X, Y, and Z. And yet they've been doing that. Again, there's no moral high ground across the board. It's just with all of this, I think the point is, it's coming to a head in the areas where we've buried our head in the sand. We can no longer afford that. I wanna get you to unpack these three points before we run out of time. I'll read each of the three and allow you to commentate on them. Rick, I'll start with you on point number one. It says, to, and these are goals and desires of you two. Am I framing that correctly? Yeah. Okay. So number one was censure every elected official knowingly, who knowingly misled both the public and the constituents in thinking that the 2020 presidential elections could be reversed and after its official recognition by the Electoral College governing body. Rick, speak to that point, please. Once the elections passed over by the Electoral College, it, it's, it's a done deal. We, we can't have this rhetoric going on by these officials like the last time. And even the time before, when Trump won, we had the same thing going on, causing this drama, causing hatred, causing everything by arguing over the voting process and the votes. Once it's over, these, these officials cannot cause panic to society over a, a false election, anything like that. They're elected officials. They have to accept the process and go on with it. So in your opinion, Rick, if this does not happen, if there is no censorship, if there is no 
uh, some sort of acknowledgement that this was an improper course of action for an elected official, what harm do you think that will do to the country and to our democracy? Well, we've seen what it, what it could do to this country on January 6th. This is, that's the kind of stuff that can happen when they argue over this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they don't, they need, they, uh, they need to be held accountable for stuff like that. I don't know if an impeachment's right. I, I really don't think an impeachment's right. I think that the impeachment was more or less so he, he couldn't run again. They should have brought criminal charges on the situation, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Charges should have been brought up. I think the impeachment was more of a political stunt to try and get him so he couldn't run again in the next term, and it was more of a personal thing. If, if it was that bad, they should have brought criminal charges against President Trump. I got you. I'm going to go on to point number two. Rick will say point number three for you because you started to unpack it earlier before I interrupted. So we'll come back to you with point number three. Uh, point number two, Tony, it says respectfully ask these censured elected officials to resign, excuse me, to resign their positions. If they choose not to do what is in the best interest of the country and its citizens, then we must ask their peers to demand them to resign their positions. If that does not rid our governing body, of these dysfunctional and misguided leaders, then voting them out is our last democratic way of doing what weak leadership could not do. That totally sounds like a you sentence anyways. Give us your analysis of that one. Yes, and, and the bottom line is we had a 147 congressmen uh, and then we had uh, what, 14, 16 senators that enabled the former president to do what uh, what he did and to um, raise the, the, the rhetoric, the hyperbolic rhetoric to a point where the citizens acted out on January 6th. And my thing is uh, they all should be just censored and removed from their position mm -hmm. because again, as a leader, you cannot, you cannot incite um, and, and, and spread information like that and incite people to a such a rage to go out and cause damage or inflict harm mm -hmm. on others. I mean, let's let's look at it. I mean, six or what, seven people died and three of them died by suicide. And those were police officers that had weapons, if I believe, that didn't use them in that time. But then they decided to take their own lives because maybe this just pushed them over the edge. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't have problems beforehand, but hey, this did it for them, mm -hmm. right? And now their family members are left to deal with that carnage. And, you know, so they have a lot of blood on their hands, not literally, but, but indirectly, because they didn't do their job. Excellent. So, Tony, I'm going to have to go into point number three before we run out of time. Rick, point number three is to purposely pursue re reasonable term limits for all governing officials at every level. You stated this earlier. Our country's current disposition is painfully reminding us that we have fallen asleep at the wheel. We, the people, must resist turning over full control of our democracy to our elected officials. Comment on that for us, please. Yeah, we need term limits. These people are too comfortable sitting there too long and actually getting too rich doing the jobs. We have uh, senators, congressmen worth $128 million. You tell me how a $200,000 a year job and you're worth $128 million. It's totally ludicrous. They're in there too long. 
there needs to be term limits. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. What I like about this combination of you two working together on this is I hear so many different opinions, um, societal opinions echoed in your commentary. And you view the, the greater goal the same way and you have your own personal takes and nuances on what you see playing out. I think that's a snapshot of America, right? And this is the type of dialogue that we should see more of in order for us to move forward. We agree on the big picture and we agree that this, regardless of how much we agree on policies in this country, this particular issue is poisonous to all of America and we need to sort this thing out and figure this thing out. Before we go, um, Tony, Rick, uh, very quickly, 30 seconds or less, uh, any parting shots, anything you want people to think about and to ruminate over as you put out in your document? Well, I would just like people to know that we're gonna continue to move on with this. And like you said, we're gonna move around to uh, all the different big cities in the state of Pennsylvania and, and uh, continue to talk about this. And so uh, we'll be getting information out there and we're hoping more people will join us and waking up and not being asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. Rick, what do you want people to take from this? Same thing, we, we'd love anyone to join us, help us out with this movement. Tony's a great dude. Tony's more, more or less the leader of this movement. And uh, some, Tony has great ideas. And I, I'm just really, really proud of Tony and what he's doing. And I'm, I'm glad he came to me and asked me to join him. Excellent, well, thank you both so much for coming on the show. And if this accomplishes nothing more than sparking real, genuine, intense dialogue amongst people in their circles of influence, their friendships, their relationships at work, then that unto itself will be a service to this country. We have to have real, real discussion around this topic in this juncture of history right about now. So that's it for our show today. Uh, tune in next month for more discussion and analysis with local and national guests. You can listen to our show on 91.3 FM every fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. For WQLN, PBS, and NPR, I'm Marcus Atkinson, and we will see you next time.